You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Locked On Browns, episode 125. As always, I'm your host, Jeff Lloyd. Uh, on Twitter, follow me at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. You know, I appreciate everybody for following the Locked On Browns account. Uh, easiest way to get in touch with me, any you know, thing you guys want to hear about, you're able to get in touch with me. It's worked out well. Uh, it's helping with listenership. So, you know, we're all doing everything we can here to help the show grow, which I'm greatly appreciative for. Uh, playing a little injured today, uh, some swollen glands. So if I sound a little different, uh, please understand. Uh, but I'm not one of these guys who late in the season is just going to take the week off. Uh, no excuses. Play like a champion. Uh, big NFL news today before we get into it. Uh, the Giants finally got everything right and just cleaned out all the dirty laundry. McCagden. Uh, Reese, who was, you know, big behind his hiring and uh, some terrible drafts over the years. So you're starting to see, you know, the first dominoes falling, which could, you know, probably end up to be, what, six, seven, eight before this is all said and done. But uh, New York Giants, uh, you know, not accepting, you know, what's going on and everything they couldn't start the ball rolling. Uh, 0-12. So, uh, you know, the loss yesterday with the Chargers, uh, it is now a two-game lead on the overall number one pick. Which, uh, look, uh, if you're not going to be in contention, you might as well be as high to the top of the draft board as possible. So, you know, that's where we're going with. Um, with us tonight, uh, Pete Smith. Obviously, Pete's been on before. Uh, he holds the number one listen to pod on here so far and the number three to this point. Uh, Pete, so much thanks for having on again, buddy. What's going on? Uh, I'm, I'm always happy happy to be here. Eat it, Zach Jackson. Ha, 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 um, where we're going to start, uh, obviously, you know, there's one headliner of this and everything. Um, you know, the, uh, stallion was out of the barn yesterday for the first time in three years. And I mean, it's unreal. I mean, you forget about, you know, the absolute raw athleticism and talent this guy has. And, you know, maybe when you don't see him for three years again, you know, you almost build it up, but then you see him out there again yesterday and it's just like, man, this guy is something right, Pete? I, I, look, I mean, he was going against, against what have you know, I don't, I wouldn't say he's an elite corner, but Casey Hayward's really good, and it just, it wasn't fair. I mean, he was just, he's so much bigger, stronger, and faster than everybody else. It's like he's a create a guy type player, like that's not supposed to be how that exists. And then he goes in there and immediately looks like he hasn't missed a beat. Uh, you know. It's easy to see why anyone can fall in love with his talent. Uh, certainly, the hope is, you know, that 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 this sort of on the on the one hand shows him shows him why it's so critical that he, you know, can can stay on the on the right track. And then and then the second part of that is this also leads to more temptation to get off that track. So hopefully, you know, that he's in a position where everything can sort of. Uh, just keep him going on that that same point. I mean, it, it, it would have been very easy for him to go out and be pretty bad yesterday, uh, and you couldn't have blamed him. The fact that he was basically still looked like a superstar is is just outstanding. Yeah, and look, and one of the hugest things in anything is you know what is your biggest ability is your availability, and obviously that's always going to be the question with Josh. Um, before we get to Kaiser. Uh, you know, I mentioned today Jake Burns' piece, and uh, he broke down the eight incompletions on targets between Deshaun and Josh. Uh, Josh was getting it done, man. He was open. He was finding holes. He was reading where to settle in, you know, in, in some zones on some high and lows. 
pretty incredible on his part. I, I mean, I think I think it's safe to say that, that just on routes to Josh Gordon, that there were 200 yards left on the field that could have been there that were either underthrown, usually underthrown, or just not put in a very good spot. I mean, e- even the one where he sort of caught uh, out of the outstretched arms of Casey Hayward, which is a really nice play by Gordon, the ball wasn't where it was supposed to be going. He should have been, you know, it was a streak down the field. It should have been out in front. And had it been, you know, Josh probably scores that and Casey Hayward's barely on the screen. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, and you talk about it. I went and looked at the PFF grades. All the, uh, you know, Los Angeles Charger guys yesterday graded very well. Um, you know, maybe I guess maybe some of that thinking behind the grading is, is you know, you're just not going to cover Josh Gordon. I don't know. But, I mean, they had been a pretty quality secondary and, you know, Josh could have just easily eaten him for lunch. And if it had been something where, you know, this was his second or third game back, you were probably talking easily a nine for a, a two and 11 and, and possibly two scores. Um, we've had this debate, Pete, uh, since I've taken over here and the Deshaun Kaiser. Um, you know, I mentioned before we went on uh, yesterday, uh, I mean, if there was an all in, if this was poker, I think for you, it basically puts you all in, you know, as with the confidence you have. Um, you would been trying for Kaiser and oh look well you know he hasn't you know hasn't had everything with him you know you got to take and discount this type of thing and look they weren't in Cleveland yesterday like you said in 20 degree weather there wasn't 15 to 25 mile an hour winds they were in LA it was a beautiful day and you know like I mentioned the eight miscues uh the eight incompletions between he and Josh uh ended up 15 for 32 for the day uh the two turnovers uh the ghastly ghastly fumble on the sack where he decided to retreat as opposed to challenge and either throw it away just heinous on his part but uh go ahead Deshaun Kaiser so let's preface it there's a lot that's not Deshaun's fault and I've said this before on this pod and others you know it's not his fault that he was not prepared to be a starting quarterback at this point it's not his fault that the coach put him in all he does is what he can do Given where he's at in his development, and you put him out there, and he, you know, you're going to get what you're going to get. You know, having said that, in San Diego weather in December, which you couldn't ask for a better situation, when it just came to making throws, it wasn't reads, it was just throws. He couldn't do it consistently, and this has been the problem with with him going back to Notre Dame. This isn't an this isn't an experience issue. This is a He's just not a very accurate quarterback issue, and it just ate them up uh, over the course of the game. And then you had decision-making issues with the sack on Tabosa uh, that caused the fumble and just some of these other things where you're sitting there going, and even if we had the Browns had average quarterback play, uh, the defense did enough. You know, it was not pretty. Uh, but they only gave up the 19 points, and the Browns probably could have scored at least 30 just on plays that were there. Uh, and the other thing that happened with Deshaun is he got too stuck on looking for Gordon every play, seemingly, and Corey Coleman got four targets that were terrible. He didn't have a catch, uh, and Duke Johnson only had the two catches on four targets. You had all these, you know, it, for the first time you could say, it, you know, it, they looked like they were 
uh, as good as the Chargers' defense is, the Browns just look more talented on offense. It's just a credit to all those weapons they had. And and, and Kaiser made a few really nice throws, especially the seams to Najoku uh, that looked great. But on, the, on balance, he couldn't complete half his passes. The interception was brutal. Uh, and just, I mean, it, it, this is the second game in three weeks where you're going, you know, the Browns not only could have, but maybe should have won that game if not for the quarterback. And I understand he's a rookie, and I understand that he can get better. And, you know, you hope for his sake he does. But at the same time, we're going to entering week 13 here. He's got four games. He's not going to miraculously be great. He's just not. And you're talking about looking ahead to the draft where the Browns have two top ten picks as it stands right now on the first pick overall. No one can sit here and go, you can't take, a, you don't take a quarterback, you build around Deshaun Kaiser. That's That's irresponsible and just stupid. And that's been my statement from jump, and this is even – and look, I will. I am more pro-Kaiser than probably anybody Cleveland Browns-wise, um, but that's what you saw yesterday with Gordon there. And, and one of the things that first came into my mind yesterday is, you know what, how do you get uh, – I'm trying to – I'm forgetting who I talked about this with, uh, but it was, you know, how to get Duke Johnson more relevant. How to get Duke Johnson more relevant is having a guy with legitimate, you know, deep field that is going to take the eyes off of the back out. So you would have thought, you know, Doc, Duke Johnson should work well in unison with Josh Gordon. He should be able to eat off of that. Seth DeValve should be able to eat off of that. Even Corey Coleman, if you're going to run Josh deep, you can run Corey on some short cross, uh, short crossers, some short slants. So, you know, you're going to add a quarterback because, I mean, you'd be blatantly stupid not to. Either way, you do not have another quarterback in the building. Even if you just want to say it off the fact of injury alone, you need to add another quarterback. Sure, but whatever way it is, you were going to bring another capable guy in here. You're a Baker guy. I'm a Josh Rosen guy. I will tell you right now, those eight incompletions yesterday, those guys were going to hit a bunch of those. Even now, at the level they are in college, they were not missing those throws. Uh, but you did bring up David Najoku and uh, had a good day yesterday. Obviously, it's 4 for 74, you know, 33-yard reception, 26-yard reception. Uh, you know, had a you know a ball he probably should have caught, would have put him close, you know, five closer to a hundred. But just looking at these guys on the field, Heyman, Corey Coleman, I mean, these guys look like you know small forwards in the NBA. I mean, jacked up, can move, some special special talent that, that that's really starting to show up here when you're looking at the skill position. So you know, you, you looked at a couple of the sets they ran out yesterday. Like I think on one of the seams they ran, it was Gordon to the left. They're both on the left side of the formation, Gordon out wide, and then Njoku in the middle. Uh, you, you know, what are you supposed to do to that? I mean, if you did nothing else and you ran four verts with those guys, Duke Johnson just just feast on the innards of the defense with guys who can't cover him. Uh, you know, Corey Coleman is just an incredibly gifted athlete. He's not as big as the other guys, but God, he can run and, and should have gotten more opportunities. I mean, he had a a wide open post or slant or whatever it was that went had the ball sail 10 feet over his head. Uh, you're just, you're looking at these guys and, and certainly this is, you know, it's a shame the front office missed on all these great athletes that uh, you have all these guys who are just bigger, stronger, faster than everybody else. And they're so young, they haven't figured it out. And this isn't by accident with the front office. This is what they want to do. Now, Josh Gordon is, you know, if, if this ultimately works out, it's found money. Um, and becomes a situation where you have three of the best athletes um, and DeValve honestly would be a fourth 
in the receiver tight end position this team has had in the 20 year, basically in the 20 years they've been back you add in Braylon Edwards you add in Kellen Winslow Jr uh and some of those other guys but all these guys are in that group and all on the same team at the same time now that even with as good as the Chargers look on defense there were just certain things they were powerless against because they're just so much big so much physically more outstanding than them and if once they figure out how to actually do this stuff and I think Njoku especially the past two weeks has been really impressive Last week, it wasn't so much catching the ball. It was actually blocking in the running game. And this week, you're seeing him in space. And and this comes back to a Hugh Jackson question, which is why hasn't this guy, who is actually a receiver in high school, always out there on every play doing this type of stuff or at least in opportunities to make these type of plays? Why is he on the field every play? And, and, and it just leaves you frustrated. I'm really excited for Njoku and the game he had. Uh, but, you know, it just comes back to questions on why isn't this always out there uh, when you have these options and just weapons upon weapons where you're, you know, Seth the Valve becomes your fourth guy. He catches a pass and he can run almost 20 yards on a simple drag route because there's so much going on. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, obviously and what you talked about with the found money with Josh, I mean, you know, what you're paying him is probably 12, 13 million dollars below market value per season for him right now. Um, look, you know, obviously the pressures are only going to get greater with him being back, him dropping four for 86, coming back. You know, obviously there's a lot on Josh's plate. You know, he needs to continue, you know, maintain his program, whatever he's been doing to get himself here. He needs to continue that road. Uh, we'll move on over to the defense here in a second. Uh, you listen to Locked On Browns, episode 125. Uh, guys, this week is Packer Week. Make sure to check out Locked On Packers with Peter Bukowski. Uh, does a great job over there covering the team. I'll have Aaron Nagler with us uh, Wednesday night to give us a Packer, uh, you know, prep for this week. So now we're going to get on over. Um, one thing defensively wise, um, look, the one thing you're noticing is, is you know, as far as the pass rushing, if Miles Garrett isn't getting home, it doesn't seem like anybody's getting home. So uh, give me a couple thoughts there on that, Pete, because, you know, you know, they're not, you know, he's not playing a full array of reps, and when he's off the field, it just seems that, you know, the offense is having their way. Well, I mean, it's a shame that he was going to basically eviscerate uh, Phillip Rivers, if not for uh, getting a bear hug that sort of had him land awkward on his ankle from uh, Russell Okung, and, and you saw the ankle sort of bother him. He still caused problems. He's still, you know, a great player, even when he's, he's compromised a little bit. I wish... Russell Okung would have stopped holding a little bit for the game. But, um, you know, other than that, you know, the other edge, I like Carl Nassib. I certainly understand where people sort of have an issue. He's clearly not ready to start. Um, He's sort of – he is a role player. Uh, You know, you hope that with these reps, with another offseason, that in year three when most defensive linemen sort of come into their own, that he's going to be – more of the guy you saw at Penn State in that final year. Um, it's a lot of near misses and, and, and things of that nature this season with him that are that are a little frustrating. Um, Nate Orchard, I you know I don't get it. I mean, occasionally he'll do some good things, but I'm not very impressed. I actually like um, Tyrone Holmes better. Um, I see more out of him in terms of just activity, and, and he's a better athlete. And all those things, but certainly he's not, you know, consistent. So when it's not Garrett, suddenly your your most consistent sort of uh, problem-causing guy is, you know, yesterday at least was 
was Larry Ogunjobi, and then and then Caleb Brantley, who who I you know I, I, I hated the pick. Uh, I, I still hate the pick, but yesterday he had clearly his best game. Uh, still did some some Brantley things, but when he hustled, when he actually you know gave his effort, you saw the guy that you know people could sort of that people sort of fell in love with um, with the draft process. But now the the challenge for him is he's now got to be consistent. Uh, the, I guess the thing that sort of frustrated me the most with with yesterday was the fact that, you know, this isn't the first time this has happened either against Philip Rivers, where the Browns blitz him over and over and over. It doesn't work, and they keep doing it, and he just picks you apart. Um, it was frustrating to see him sort of be able to just pick on corners uh, so much in single coverage. He, uh, it was like he was almost inviting the blitz. Now they got a couple hits on him, but it just wasn't enough to really stop him. And you know they didn't get the the punt team out there until the second half, where they finally got some some stops. I mean, this was sort of like the bizarro world defensive showing, and that the, the Browns had usually been pretty stingy when it came up to giving rushing yards and yards overall, and then would just collapse on the red zone. And then this one, they 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 hemorrhaged yards all over the field but managed to get some key stops in the red zone to keep it close where, uh, you know, they held uh, the Chargers to one of four in the red zone, which is a, a huge improvement because for the most part, the Browns have been giving up like 75% touchdowns when they get in the red zone on defense. No, they did a great job of the, you know, Ben, but uh, don't break theory yesterday. Um, you know, if you brought up the two, uh, you know, Larry O and obviously uh, Caleb Brantley, eight and a half tackles for loss from the, you know, from the defensive front line yesterday. That's a really good job by these guys. Uh, I don't think we have any doubts as far as, you know, what they bring in the running game. Obviously, we're going to need more pass rushing. Uh, I'm 100% on board that, you know, you have six picks in the top 65. You're looking at coming April. You absolutely, you need, uh, you know, even if it's an Elmis Doomerville type where there's it's a one-trick pony that all they can do is get to the corner quarterback, you absolutely have to continue to add to that. Uh, you have the makings here, but, you know, a couple of pieces certainly aren't going to help, uh, you know, hurt that. Um, when you were getting to obviously, you know, the, all the pressure that was bringing brought to Philip Rivers, which I mean, look, he eats it up. He wants it. Philip would rather take. Philip will take a hit because he knows he's got an opening. It looked like a seven on five drill yesterday. There was, like, I mean, there was nobody either near the hashes between them. I think he was sixteen of six or uh, sixteen of sixteen or some crazy number like that. He just ate them alive in the middle yesterday. Yeah, I mean. It, it, when you get to quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Philip Rivers and some of these other guys, Aaron Rodgers is probably in that group. You do them a favor by by blitzing them because all they see is less defenders in the pass rush. For the most part, I mean, don't get me wrong; they don't want to take a hit in the teeth. But Philip Rivers, you know, he's not afraid to take a hit. And yesterday, you saw him sort of get up gimpy with the leg and stuff, but he just doesn't care. If you're taking guys out of coverage, you, he's happy. That makes him happier when he's got less of a problem uh, finding receivers to get the ball. And, and, you know, this has been a a running theme with the Browns and giving up tight ends, passes, and, and, and certainly, you know, it was yards after catch to a guy like Antonio Gates. And, and Keenan Allen's just a problem, period. I mean, he's going to get his to a, certain, uh, to a certain element. But, you know, there's just too many situations where there's a wide-open – running back or there's a wide open tight end or, you know, the third receiver who's just finding a space in the middle of the field, catching a ball and then running free for a while. And, and, you know, the Browns 
you know, don't give up deep plays. And certainly, you know, they didn't do that yesterday. Uh, but, you know, the, 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 the trade-off with that is giving up underneath plays, and you have to tackle those. And there were too many instances, Jamar Taylor in particular, um, didn't make a tackle. He absolutely had to make that gave up a bunch of yards. And, and certainly having more guys in coverage, even, you know, Philip Rivers isn't stupid. He can pick apart a defense if you never get there. But if nothing else, just mixing up your looks, I think, would, would help the Bronze. I, I think overblitzing just makes them to the point where these quarterbacks get comfortable expecting all these guys to come, even if they don't know which guys are coming, just expecting that, finding the whole, where, basically throwing to the blitz, into the blitz, and, and just feasting off the, the underneath stuff. Yeah, and you know, that's pretty much it. And look, it was a solid effort. I thought you know, the defense, as many yards as they gave up, you know, holding that team to 19 when it could easily have been 31. So it's a good job on that. And look, now we're getting to the point here, guys, where you see some things on defense. Now with Josh Gordon back, you're seeing some things on offense. I think a win's going to come here because there's just so much individual talent that, you know, Josh Gordon can win you a game. You know, Miles Garrett can win you a game on defense. I think there's still a win coming. Good thing they have that two-game two, two margin. But uh, you're really starting to see some things here. And, look, it's it's not the front office. Leave the front office alone. They are getting it done. You're going to make the coaches change. And if you need any other reason and you're not convinced, he's 1-27. He's got to go. Uh, Pete, two things before we let you go. College football playoff. You okay with the Final Four? No, but, I mean, it's not a surprise. I, I mean, I'm assuming your qualm is the, the fourth team. Right, and and honestly, I would have put Oklahoma number one. I don't really care that you know that that's not really a big deal. I, I to me, you know, Alabama, and, and this isn't because I wanted Ohio State in. I thought Ohio State had no business being in there either. They got beat by thirty-one by Iowa, and they got beat soundly by Oklahoma. You know, you know, if you, I, I am an Ohio State fan, but if you're an Ohio State fan. You were set. You you were basically hoping for them to go in and get butchered again because that was what was going to happen. Um, and certainly, I think the committee took into account the thirty-one to zero outcome from last year and held it against them. I have no doubt in my mind that that came up in that meeting. Uh, when it comes to Alabama, they played nobody this year, and it wasn't their fault in terms of Florida State. God knows they tried to schedule a good opponent in Florida State had the most enjoyable season I've ever seen in Florida State football. Easy uh, but But for anyone, you know, you, they were expected to be a top team. It's certainly lo- losing the quarterback and everything that happened with there. It just it just fell apart. And suddenly that becomes goes from a top, you know, hopefully a top 10 opponent to nobody. And then you look at the rest of their schedule and they beat Mississippi State. They beat LSU and neither of them were particularly good. They didn't play Georgia at all. I mean, that's certainly a matter of, you know, that's just how their schedule sort of works. But then you play teams like Mercer, and that's their own fault. Uh, so they only played 11 F- FBS teams. They lost to Auburn convincingly. It wasn't, you know, you can say it was in Jordan-Hare Stadium and that, but it was a convincing win. It wasn't like a field goal. I think I thought Auburn actually should have beat them by worse uh, yep. because of that horrible turnover by, by Stidham. Uh, early, but Alabama, Alabama was outclassed in that game. If, if you ask me, I, th- I thought one, th- this was a bad matchup for Alabama, and that once Auburn got ahead, and I thought they could, they don't have a quarterback who's built to come back. So when you get to that, uh, I thought Alabama had a terrible argument to get in there. You're, you're the third place team ostensibly 
in the SEC, and now you're getting into the playoff to be the fourth team. To me, you know, nobody likes this. I thought UCF should have been the fourth playoff team. Uh, the fact is, they played two top 25 teams, at least it may have been three. Uh, beat Memphis twice, and Memphis is a good football team. Uh, they, you know, score a ton of points. Uh, UCF is fun. Anyone who actually takes the time and watches them enjoys. I don't buy the argument that. That well, UCF wouldn't have drawn in ratings. You were telling me that if Clemson played UCF, that nobody was going to turn that game on. When you have a Scott Frost team who scores about seventy per game, uh, and you can say to me that you know Clemson would have blown them out. You know what? Maybe. Let, but I'd like to find out. At the at the same time, I I think Clemson would butcher Ohio State, and I think they'll they'll soundly beat Alabama too. So I I don't buy that argument, and it's not just because. UCF was undefeated and they won their conference and everything else. It was because outside of those three teams, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Georgia, I thought nobody else had a good argument. It wasn't like, you know, if Ohio State or Alabama or USC is the other one people like to pull in, actually had a really good argument, so be it. But I thought this was a unique situation and that basically UCF was was so much better and those teams basically did so much to sort of hurt their own argument that this was sort of the the best opportunity to get one of those guys in there see what was happening and and I and I hate that it wasn't even sort of a con, you know consideration so for me UCF gets to play Auburn in the Peach Bowl and if they win I would pronounce them people's champ and that's the thing if there was a year maybe where you could have went off cuff and it kind of fell into your lap that, you know, people would have been okay with it. It would have been this year. And the other thing that makes me sick to my stomach is Nick Saban saying, yeah, you know what, I really politicked for this. You know, I felt we really needed a Shut up. You're Alabama. You know what? You had every shot in the world. You had the easy schedule. You lost to Auburn. It all fell downhill. And now you're politicking to get your team in the playoffs? Stop. You're going to be there five out of the next six years anyway. J- just stop. I don't need to hear that. Uh, before we let you go. After a after a bye week against Mercer, they lost. Exactly, exactly. You know, you know. God forbid. You know. Oh my God, Nick. We all feel so bad for you. Um, before we let you go, Heisman, uh, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, uh, Mr. Love out from Stanford. Look, it's nice that they even extended the courtesy to two other guys. Uh, how unanimous do you think? How high are you looking here for Baker? I think I think the honest question is: Is he going to break Troy Smith's record for for the you know how much he wins by? Is the margin of victory going to break Troy Smith's record? Uh, he's the one who set the the highest margin of victory. Uh, but but beyond that, I, I I would just say I love the fact that they only brought these three. I think that's awesome that they didn't bring you know a fourth and a fifth guy because even though it's going to be Baker Mayfield like a landslide by a landslide, and it should be. The fact that there's only those two other guys is going to give them so much more attention, deservedly, that they sort of get to be celebrated for. I understand that they're not going to win. I understand that. But the difference between two and four guys, you really get to talk about you know, and focus on and sort of enjoy what Lamar Jackson has done this year on a, on a Louisville team that, that didn't have as much help and obviously – lost games, uh, more games than he did the previous year. And on the other side, Bryce Love, you know, he was just phenomenal. I mean, I, I don't know what the streak of games where he had a 50-yard-plus run, the high ankle sprain, the, his unbelievable amount of uh, ability to tolerate pain in a way that, you know, I don't know how you do it. 
you can't pain inject. You can't do anything but take, you know, basically an aspirin to deal with a high ankle sprain, which is it's agonizing pain. And he looked good doing it. So, I, I you know, it's Baker Mayfield. I, I'm curious to see if he can break the record. He'll be the first ever walk on to win the Heisman. But I love the fact that it's just Lamar Jackson and Bryce Love, and you get to enjoy the hell out of those two. Yeah, well, it's actually kind of interesting because, I mean, you know, depending on Lamar's schedule, you know, you wonder if he would have been there anyway, obviously, as, you know, the previous Heisman winner. So, you know, at least he gets to go back. You know, he gets to be there to watch the, you know, the, the trophy be uh, passed off. And look, uh, you know, if you, weren't a, if you weren't a Bryce Love guy before the Pac-12 championship game, uh, you had to become one that day. I mean, it gave everything he had, you know, and you almost felt bad for him. And me, I was almost getting to the point where, man, dude, don't make this ankle any worse than it needs to be, bro. A couple months, you got to work out for some big, big money on the line. But, you know, got to be impressed with what the kid did. Locked on Browns, episode 125. Tomorrow, we're going to bring in a couple guys. We're going to use the fan speak off-season simulator. We're going to, you know, test that out. We're going to do that. Hopefully, do you know, work with that a bunch over the off-season. Pete, you're always welcome to jump in on that any of those nights. Pete, thanks so much <laughs> for coming on here. I'm always happy to do it. All right, everybody, have a great evening. Let's go Browns. Episode 126 coming at you tomorrow. I'm actually going to put this one out tonight, so we'll get it out to you. Hopefully, you know, right around before kickoff of Monday Night Football. For Jeff Lloyd, for Pete Smith, Lockdown Browns. Everybody have a great night.